Welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. It is Preakness week and wow, it's been quite the week already, of course, as everyone's very aware of. So I'm not going to spend the entire podcast uh, talking about that. Uh, let's move on to actually talking about some of the horses that are lining up, as well as covering the Black Eyed Susan, which will be run on Friday. I get a top analyst and broadcaster and friend, Acacia Courtney, to discuss the Black Eyed Susan as well as this year's Preakness field with me. But before that... I got the chance to have a quick word with coach D. Wayne Lucas, six-time Preakness winner, 44 Preakness runners and counting. That is the largest number that any other horse trainer has had in the middle duel of the Triple Crown. He was sitting just outside uh, the barn on his chair, close to the stall where Ram was in, close to the the food tent, if you you are familiar with the Stakes Barn at Pimlico. That is his spot, and everyone loves to take up at least a little bit of his time to hopefully learn some of his wisdom and gain some of his insights. That's what I did. I had a couple minutes with him. Hopefully one day I get the chance to sit down for a little longer. But I know you guys will enjoy this quick chat with legendary coach D. Wayne Lucas. Wayne, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. You've been holding court this morning. Everyone wants to talk with you as in a way you're nearly the ambassador of the Preakness having ran the most horses in this race of any trainer. I've been here a long time and so they 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 actually you know actually to make your point there I'm the only one uh, that's out here this morning I don't see the other guys and uh, so I'm doing it all I have to be the ambassador when you get older and you've been here a long time you inherit that uh, title a little bit anyhow it just falls into place I hope you don't mind no I don't mind it I I think uh, we have we don't have enough media coverage really in racing. We we need to be more on television like the other sports. And and uh, I've, I felt that the jockey club with their funding and everything, that the best thing we could do would be to spend money on uh, public relations and television. I think that would help us so much. I agree with you there. I think we need to bring our sport forward and, and educate the public about how horse racing works, how we look after these horses, how we prepare them and how things you know, go on when there are certain things that come out, as of course this week has happened as well, so that they know Absolutely. what is actually that we're talking about instead of just big headlines, which has been you know, very tricky. But let's talk a little bit more about the fact that you've had 44 runners in the Preakness Stakes. How much do you enjoy coming back to Baltimore? What is your favorite part of coming here? Well, I like the I like the Triple Crown Series in general, but I like Baltimore the most. If I, I actually enjoy it more than the Derby or the Belmont, where I've been, you know, an active participant too. But the, uh, the 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 atmosphere and everything here seems to be more relaxed. Everybody kind of exhales and enjoys it more. And, and at this stage of my career, it's fun to be in that main arena again. Uh, but we're a long shot, and I realize that. But I, I I don't wake up every day trying to prove that I can win these races. I, I try to enjoy them for the moment. Well, certainly hope you're enjoying your time here. Let's talk about Ram, your contender in this year's Preakness. As you've already won this race six times, we were kind of hinting at it before. There's different ways of getting here. There's different ways uh, to get to Rome, basically. How would you reflect upon what Ram has done leading into this and his preparation? 
Well, his last two races are his best two, and that's very important. But if you were to draw up, in my opinion, from the experience I've had with this race, I would say that if you would draw up a prep race for a horse, he had it. He had it excellent. It was a one-turn mile at Churchill. He rated very kindly. He ran by the field. He was actually last at some point, ran by the field, finished up and was cooled out in 15 minutes at the barn. That was ideal. Now, whether that equates to a win or even a good race here, we'll find out. But I love the way that he's coming up. And when the horse gets good, they're dangerous. I know I've asked you this before, but I'm reiterating for the listeners on Talk Racing to me. Uh, he hasn't gone this distance just yet. To me, he has beautiful muscle tone to him, but does look a little bit more bulky than your out-and-out two-turn horse. How do you think the distance is going to suit him? I don't think he'll have any trouble with the distance at all. In fact, I think it's a plus. I think the American Pharaoh pedigree will carry him. He, um, he, I think, will benefit from it. I hope that because of his style, he's going to need the entire stretch to get up. So whatever he does, whether it's first or last or anything in between, I think he's going to benefit from the stretch. And most likely the Bob Baffert trainees, Concertor Medina Spirit, are going to move forward. How, in your mind, with all the experience that you have, do you see this race work out pace-wise? And where would you like to see your horse? My horse is going to be back. I, I hope he's not too far back. I see uh, the Baffert Trio, the two, the, uh, those two, I think, will be out there. The other horse that I um, I think is very dangerous is Midnight Bourbon. I think that that horse could be very, very prominently placed, maybe just off of that speed and take advantage. So it'll be an interesting scenario on how it's played out. But uh, I think we just named the contenders. I think we did indeed. And as you've won this race six times, I hope you don't mind quickly reflecting on some of these. I got the chance to watch them all back. And of course, Codex in 1980, uh, besting Jenna and Risk, who was a winner. Of, she ran the Kentucky Derby, then came up against you. How fond are your memories of that first ever Preakness that you won? Well, I had just switched over from a uh, professional quarter horse trainer. And so this was my first classic ever. And to come in here and win it was kind of a, a shock, actually. I thought, damn, I'm, you know, I've never run in one of these. And the first one I run in, I win. And uh, so, but that took off. We And, you know, they're all special. Every one of them has a story. My son and changed his life entirely. And uh, for him to come in here and win a major race like this, and uh, in light of the fact that, you know, there was a lot of stigma with him and everything, I think. And then the owners were special friends of mine. That one probably was the most special. And, and I was listening to you talking with some other people before, so reflecting on Timber Country. He was the two-year-old champion. Uh, he also was a sensational as a juvenile. And then in his three-year-old year, hadn't proven himself as much yet. What was it like for you preparing him for that Preakness and, of course, ending up winning it? We thought he was going to win the Derby. And when he ran third in the Derby, we thought, well, maybe he's, you know, he'll come in here and run better or he, maybe he's not as good. But he he ends up denying us the Triple Crown because Thunder Dulce goes on to win the Belmont. He goes from the Derby to the Belmont and runs third here in Timber Country. Our own horse denies him the Triple Crown. So that was, that was a, a little different. We could have probably left him in the barn and had the Triple Crown winner. 
I mean, like you said, every single winner has a story. How about Charismatic, who was 31 to 1 when winning the Kentucky Derby and ended up winning the Preakness and then ran third in the Belmont? Well, a lot of people didn't think he was uh, a legitimate Derby horse. And winning it, they thought maybe that was a long shot, you know, and wasn't very, you know, really real. So when he came in here and he beat him so easy here, people started to think, hell, he's a pretty good horse. They actually ended up being horse of the year. Was it the case that he was the horse you ran for a tag as a maiden claimer as well? Well, I did that to build his confidence. And I've done the same thing with Ram. I, I t- I'll take a chance like that and try yeah. to build their confidence a little bit. And it worked, and it worked once with him. I don't know that it'll work a second time. Well, of course, we hope it will. And and sort of final thoughts: that the road, the route you've taken with all your different runners has been so vastly different. Do you say there is a key to getting a horse ready for the Preakness? Know your horse. Your the horse. You have to read your horse. You have to find out what they're. It's just like your children. Find out what they can do best and then flaunt it. Read the horse. Thank you so much. You bet. I'm not going to lie. It was wonderful just listening to D. Wayne Lucas, his experience, uh, his regime, everything he does has been taken and amplified by other trainers. And it was my pleasure and honor to get the chance to speak with him. So I wish him the best of luck with Ram in the 146th running of the Preakness. Next up is Acacia Courtney, who together with yours truly, runs you through the two features on the Friday and the Saturday, of this big, big stakes weekend coming up at Historic Pimlico. Acacia, both you and I have been quite busy this week. Why don't you tell our listeners what we've been up to thus far and what's still in store? Um, I think we've been doing just about everything. Um, I was talking to uh, Mitch Levitas, who's our director on the America's Day at the Races shows in New York, and he was like, how do you have time to be texting me right now? Are you multitasking while you're harrying the track and fixing the roof at the same time? Yeah, basically. Um, So we've been out, you and I, uh, starting at 5.30 in the morning, spotting horses, which I always enjoy Preakness Week because it's kind of a unique situation on the backside in that all of the runners are in the stakes barn and you've got all the trainers and the connections right there. It becomes kind of like one big happy family. If it's not at the start of the week, it's like that by the end of the week. And you get to see all of the contenders up close and it's just a really, really great vibe. Um, So that's been wonderful. On Tuesday, we had the post position draw, um, getting ready for all of the live racing action, handicapping Thursday, Friday, Saturday cards, doing the rundowns, the schedules for everybody, and um, and, and trying to enjoy it in the meantime because Preakness is fun at the end of the day. It really is. And I, I think looking back at last year, I'm trying to remind myself not to get too caught up in all the work that, that we're doing, which is a lot of fun too. But sometimes you do get a, a touch overwhelmed when you have to have all your picks in four days before and you're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But it's it's I agree. It's also a wonderful opportunity when you're spotting these horses to get to see them up close if you haven't seen all of them before, which of course... Um, for me, is definitely the case with a lot of out-of-town stakes horses coming in. And, and you might be more familiar with some of them from New York, from Florida. But it's still a good chance to really 
see how everyone is training and how they're getting over the Pimlico track and, and who do we like and who do we dislike. So let's get going with the feature on Friday. Of course, Friday is for the ladies, the Black Eyed Susan, the George E. Mitchell Black Eyed Susan, I should say, the grade two mile and eighth for the three-year-old ladies. And funnily enough, we both ended up liking uh, the same filly, but I'll let you lead the way here. <laughs> well, uh, Army Wife is actually a filly that I've I've saw her first three starts and then her last two starts. Um, the only two races I haven't seen her in person are her two in the fall at Churchill. So I've, I've become quite familiar with her actually. And following her in Saratoga on the turf, she ran against some really nice company in those races. And I just always felt like she wanted to go longer. Um, they switched her to the dirt. And it, it was funny because I actually just spoke to Kirk Wyckoff from Three Diamonds Farm about her. And he said, you know, Mike Maker is a great trainer and he's a great turf trainer. He thinks every horse can run on the turf <laughs> and most of them can handle it. Um, you know, not necessarily every horse will love the grass or would improve on it. But, you know, the very, very good ones you you often see can flip-flop between both. And so Kirk felt that they actually had stayed one race too long on the turf, and especially in that it was a sprint. So getting her to get a little bit more distance, going on the dirt uh, with breaking her maiden, that nice allowance race at Churchill. He said that she was also supposed to come back in the Gulfstream Oaks. Uh, I believe it was actually the earlier one he said, which would have been the Devona Dale in February. But she had gotten a bit of a cold and ended up uh, not being able to make the the Oaks moving forward. So they opt for that uh, March Gulfstream allowance race and wanting to get then the nine furlongs in the gazelle. She had a nightmare trip where she was squeezed back. She was actually my pick at 14 to one in the gazelle because I just liked her for the distance. So going the nine furlongs in the Black Eyed Susan, that's one thing I do not have any concern about with her. She's She looks like a cult. I mean, she's just continued to really fill out now as a three-year-old. I agreed. Uh, she really took my liking when I saw her on the track in the morning, but I was going through the field, just watching the majority of the contenders, just, you know, one or two replays to kind of get the feel for them. And I watched her gazelle and I was like, oh God, what a nightmare. She came running, like you said, and got completely squeezed out, had to check. And it nearly looked like she, she had to stop like a near standstill just when she was getting rolling down the stretch and then she still came home and finished third now don't think she would have toppled search results on the day but she could have gotten a lot closer and of course we know that search results came back to run incredibly game second in in a prolonged stretch duel with Malafat in the Oaks so to me I was like okay so maybe now second time going this distance and not such a horrid trip we hope I mean she has drawn on the rail where would you see her position I think she ought to go a little bit forward from that inside draw um I I I don't think so actually I think that Joelle Rosario is going to drop back save all the ground from the inside I mean you certainly hope that she's not going to be last early and she's yeah. not a slow breaker, but you've got John Velasquez and beautiful Griff gift who are going to be aggressive from the outside. Ice latte has speed lady traveler stretching out. Um, Spritz has some speed coming off those synthetic races. So I think that there will be enough 
pace. And that's one of the best things about Joel Rosario too, is that he's very good at saving something for the stretch or closing. I mean, she wasn't too far back in those last couple of races, but when you look about it, she was running in a six horse field and a five horse field. So Mm. I I think you kind of have to be up in the game when you're in short fields like that. I think she's best with that big stride of hers when she actually is a little bit further back and can make that late run. Yeah, interesting. Because that, so this is funny about different terms. I had this before with some other people. With, with me f- saying forward means I'd like to see them sitting just off the pace, like within a, a striking range. But you'd like to see her further back, perhaps uh, as she's been before when going long at Churchill. So that that's super interesting. I, I I'm definitely agreeing with you on the fact that there is plenty of speed mm-hmm. in the field, and I would not want to see her. Uh, use up too much energy to be a part of that but just you know within striking rage I think uh, suits this track well it's a a fairly even playing track but nobody's Mm -hmm. helped by being 10 lengths out now I don't think that's where she will be do you like any of the other fillies in here you mentioned uh, Beautiful Gift of course uh, Bob Baffert runner coming in she's to me an an interesting type she's she looks very fit but she's not the most flashy filly on course no, she's uh, kind of on the small side, and and she's an interesting-looking type of filly in that her legs are a little bit shorter, but her body is a little bit more kind of long and stretchy type of appearance. And just I typically don't like those types going two turns as much, and mm. she, she's been very fast out in California, and – in, in that she's gotten fast figures. However, she had a very slow pace that she was able uh, to 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 finish second with in the Santa Anita Oaks, beaten as the favorite last time in a field of four. The Santa Isabel was a field of four. Uh, she broke her maiden in a field of four. So you wonder how it's going to stack up coming to the East Coast and running against some really nice fillies that have run against some tough competition, I mean, including the likes of Army Wife, who ran behind search results and um, just have maybe done a little bit more, had some more experience at the distance. So just looking at her California form and then seeing her physically, as you mentioned, I have some concerns about her, but I do think that she'll be ridden aggressively from the outside. Yeah, she definitely will be well-placed. It's, to me, it's a wonderful renewal of the Black Eyed Susan. Uh, plenty of fillies in here that could jump, jump up and uh, take a chance. Now, I, I like personally like the number six Ice Latte a bit as well. She also looks very solid. I know you were mentioning that you think um, Army Wife looks a little bit like a cult, which I, I agree to. I like to see these fillies, uh, you know, full of strong muscle, looking a little bit muscular because that's what, for example, Swiss Skydiver looked like as well. She she outsized, not in terms of height, but a little bit with the way that she was built, some of the cults she ran against in the Preakness as well. So I feel like that mm-hmm. seems to work well here. But what do you think of Ice Latte? And also want to hear your opinion on adventuring, the daughter of questing. Yeah, um, Ice Latte, I'm, I'm also well familiar with, having covered all three of her races. Um, so I've kind of seen her develop. And, um, yeah, so she uh, she's out of Malibu Prayer, uh, who's a multiple graded stakes winner. And this is her first foal. But she was favored in her debut. And to be honest, I was just very underwhelmed by her going six furlongs. And I think that that has to be put in perspective because she was really switched off. You know, she wasn't sharp and on her toes like you'd expect a sprinter to be. And she just physically looked to me like she was well put together. It's just that that was a stepping stone race and she was 
going to want to go longer. Um, Now, in her allowance race when she went a mile, to be honest, she didn't beat anything. But in her debut, Boston Post Road was a really talented and impressive Chad Brown filly. Mischiefful came back to win very impressively um, to break her maiden for Ian Wilkes the next time out and then was beaten just a very slim margin in a tough allowance in Kentucky after that. And Bye Bye also came back to win on the turf. So she faced a really salty field in her debut. Last time at Belmont on the wet track, she got hooked in a pace duel on the front end while Midnight Obsession just rolled by to close and and catch her. So I think that you can be forgiving of her because of that. I think um, Irad Ortiz and Manny Franco, who were on the two Phillies dueling that day, were just focused on each other and kind of forgot about a closer coming from off of it. (laughs) So she has speed, but I don't think she's a need-the-lead type. She's also developed mentally a lot too. You know, she's been a little bit sharper before her race. You can see she's more defined after having racing fitness now. And I I think physically the nine furlongs is going to be great for her because don't forget a mile and a 16th at Belmont is one turn. So this is actually her first time going two turns. And of course, uh, Belmont is a different track and configuration, as you mentioned, than uh, Pimlico is also sometimes plays a little bit deeper. How do you think that the two tracks compare for her coming here? Um, I think Belmont is sometimes kind of uh, its own kind of beast, <laughs> to to be honest. It's got those big sweeping turns. I mean, you can go up to a mile and an eighth and it still be a one-turn race, you know. So a mile and a sixteenth, sometimes you have horses that just maybe don't want to go a further distance, but they're able to get it because it's just a one turn. And you think about it, how horses kind of slow down on those turns or maybe don't handle the turns as well. You've got much tighter turns here at Pimlico. So it's actually a more similar track to golf. Gulfstream, which obviously she handled well when she broke her maiden, though, again, it was going the one turn mile. Um, but I, I, I physically don't see any problem with her getting the two turns and, and just the way that she's built, the way that she's moved. Uh, I think that Pimlico should be just fine for her. And I actually like her getting a chance to go the two turns. Yeah, very much intriguing to see how she'll fare. Uh, what do you think of adventuring? Of course, she's the daughter of questing the CCA Oaks, a grade one Alabama winner. I feel like she hasn't done anything wrong yet. Of course, trained by Brad Cox, who's been, you know, just phenomenal over the last couple of years. But then again, there's a fair few trainers you can say that for (laughs) in these type of fields. So perhaps uh, that's not one to just go on. But I like, of course, her breeding and and a filly coming in here out of the Bourbonette Oaks, which is on the old weather. Now, that's always, to me, quite challenging to transfer that to the main track. I agree. She does have dirt pedigree with questing on the bottom side, of course, um, as you mentioned. And she's by Pioneer of the Nile, who can go either way. Um, much like American Pharaoh, Pioneer of the Nile, I, I like them on the turf. I, I, I like them on the synthetic as well. So she was kind of a, a strange outlier to me. I, I, to be honest, didn't really know what to do with her. She broke her maiden in an off-the-turf race. In fact, they were all three off the turf races at fairgrounds. And that's one of the challenges being at fairgrounds in the winter is the weather and all of those races coming off the grass, which is what happened. But they were clearly trying to get her to go a little bit more distance with the mile and 70 yards and mile and 16th. Uh, and then she did win last time out over Spritz, who we'll also see in this race 
um, in the Bourbonnet Oaks spritz also coming out of those synthetic tries. So I really didn't know what to do with her. She was kind of a, a bubble type of prospect to me. I haven't yet seen her in the flesh, so I'd be curious to see what she does have to offer. And again, while questing was dirt, I kind of wonder if maybe they're just saying, okay, she's run well so far. Let's take a shot. But she, to me, was a real wild card in this race. Yeah, she, uh, her half-sister was second in the grade three, the the very one, mm-hmm. mile 360 on the turf at Gulfstream Park. Yeah. So to me, there is Romantic a fair bit pursuit. of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, to me, there's a fair bit of turf in, in the pedigree mm-hmm. underneath as well. So I, I agree with you. I didn't entirely know where to place her. Is there any other filly in here that kind of, you know, you're just curious to see or you might give an, a shot underneath? Well, there, there's a couple actually. Um, I think the grass is blue is worth mentioning. I'm not her biggest fan overall, but she is the only one in the field who has a win at a mile and an eighth. So she immediately has that to her big advantage. She has a win at the distance in the Busanda. Yes, it was a shorter field, but she did it nicely. She had a trip where she was a bit keen um, in the busher. And then in the gazelle, I just didn't really love her overall, especially compared with her very talented stablemate uh, search results. But she was fourth in there behind uh, Army Wife, as we talked about. But the blinkers are coming off, and I think that that might actually help her to kind of settle a little bit, especially looking at how keen she was in the busher. One thing about her, though, is we know that she can handle a distance. To me, another wild card is Willful Woman. Both of her her wins have come impressively on a wet track, and she was to be honest, she was bad in the honeybee. Um, so I wonder how she stacks up in here. But she's a lovely moving type of filly. She's really elegant on her feet, um, being able to see her. So I just wonder how she's going to come in on a fast track and facing some tough competition. Yeah, I watched a replay of Willful Woman's last race on that sloppy service at Oakland Park, and she accelerated incredibly well on the sloppy mm-hmm. service. That made me think, okay, not that many horses are capable of doing that. But you're right. She seems to have run some of her best races on that service as if that is something that plays into her hand. Don't think we're going to get that on Friday. I hope not. Knock on wood. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like the weather is set to be at least a bit sunny. And I think we're looking at what about 70 Fahrenheit. I'm still on Celsius here. 22 (laughs) degrees Celsius, guys. (laughs) Just Wait, hold on. I can change it to... There you go. Fahrenheit. Yeah, Fahrenheit. 72 Fahrenheit on Friday. Sunshine. So it might not play into her hand, but I don't want to keep you all night because both of us have so much to do. Let's discuss the Preakness stakes coming up on Saturday. We were kind of joking around that unfortunately, unfortunately it's been such a tumultuous week. And we're kind of going, well, hold on. We still have a race here. We're still going. <laughs> we still have horses to look at. Who is your top selection in the Preakness and who do you feel the race is certainly going to go through? My top selection is the five Midnight Bourbon. Um, The only time he's been off the board was in the Kentucky Derby when he uncharacteristically didn't break well and was kind of completely taken out of his comfort zone then. Um, 
And who does the race go through? You you have to say it goes through Medina Spirit. He's the only one of this three-year-old crop besides Life is Good who was taken off the Derby Trail to run a triple-digit buyer speed figure. Excuse me, Rock Your World did in the Santa Anita Derby. Uh, but to run a 102 in the Kentucky Derby the way that he kind of dug in would make him a standout in this three-year-old crop, which has been a little bit inconsistent and perhaps not the strongest three-year-old crop that we've seen in years past. Unfortunately, Medina Spirit is kind of surrounded by a cloud coming into this year's Preakness. Um, of course, he will have to go under uh, th- through rigorous procedures in order to be able to run on Saturday. So we know, uh, of course, Naomi and I employees of First Racing and the Stronic Group as well. But we know that the integrity of the company is the most important thing, and that will be placed first as far as allowing Medina Spirit to run this weekend. But yes, the race goes through him. You have to acknowledge that when handicapping the race. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it did cross the wire first in the Kentucky Derby and did so incredibly gamely with Johnny Velasquez making all on the front, not holding back either. If you look at the internals, they were pretty solid. It's not like he slowed them right down up the front. And as you said, uh, garnered a, a 102 buyer for that effort. I use him underneath because I feel I love the advantage that we have seen these horses train on the track. I'm a fan of Midnight Bourbon as well. I think he looks sensational, really uh, kind of uh, got his um, back end swiped to the side when, when breaking and getting bumped. Really didn't have a, a fun race at all, but seems to have come out of it well. Gleaming coat, full of muscle. Love the way he's been presenting himself. And then I ended up also liking or taking a liking to Concert Tour, who's a bit more of that leggier two-turn type uh, that also is light on his feet. He looks keen in the mornings with uh, Humberto Gomez aboard. How do you rate his chances? I think of the the Baffer duo in here. He's just the one that I've always physically liked better. He looks like the type of cult that wants to go the classic distances where – Whereas Medina Spirit, um, you know, he was a bargain buy and uh, he, he kind of looks like it too. But of course, a, a good horse can come from anywhere where Concert Tour kind of has that classic type of appearance to him and how broad he is and how much he's filled out. Um, he had done nothing wrong until coming into the Arkansas Derby when he got hooked up in that pace duel with Cato River and they were both run down by Superstock. So I think that he will be interesting and will be aggressively sent from the outside under Mike Smith as his speed is his best weapon. And that could make things interesting for Medina Spirit as well because they're different ownerships and they both have early speed. And I hope that Midnight Bourbon is sitting just right off of them. Yeah, Concertur, a homebred for Gary and Mary West. I feel that he his draw helps him out, being drawn towards the outside, meaning that he can kind of dominate the race a little bit in terms of if he wants to go to the front, he can kind of suss out who's coming with him, which most likely uh, will be Medina's spirit if he jumps well. But we have heard whispers that Midnight Bourbon, uh, they want to send him forward and even... The Japanese contender, uh, they've been hinting at, hoping that he could place forward. How do you see the pace unfold in this year's Preakness? I think that there's a possibility that it could be a pretty quick pace. I think John Velasquez put on a clinic in the Kentucky Derby and it happens way too often. I mean, I come from New York where nobody sends. So... Being aggressive, putting your horse in a good spot, and just 
get your position moving forward. I think that that's always a big advantage. So I, I think that it could be a very honest pace um, and that could make things interesting for some of the closers. Perhaps I've liked crowded trade coming along. The distance is a little bit of a question for him for sure. And Chad Brown has acknowledged that, but I actually thought liked him uh, coming out of the Wood Memorial. And I, I do find it kind of funny as well that he has the exact same resume as cloud computing coming into the Preakness. Broke his maiden at Aqueduct, second in the Gotham, third in the Wood Memorial. So what are the we'll chances if- of that? I That's know. Just- and they're both yep. owned by Klarovich and um, trained by Chad Brown. So let's see if lightning can strike twice for them. I mean, that would be uh, wonderful for them. Of course, um, Seth Klarman being grown up around Pimlico Racecourse mm-hmm. in the Baltimore area. So it means so much to him, of course, to have have two runners in this year's Preakness. Of course, um, Chad Brown also sends out another runner who was set to line up in the Peter Pan, if I was correct. And last mm-hmm. minute, he decided to take the risk. Here's my terrible pun. Risk-taking comes in here for Chad Brown. Same connections. Do you think that was a good move, putting him in this field? I do. He was the morning line favorite in a short field in the Peter Pan. And they opted to scratch him and run here instead. And speaking to Chad Brown, he said, you know, I know he's named risk-taking, but it's really not that big of a risk when you think about it. Yes, they were the favorite in the Peter Pan, but that was going one turn. Um, Promise Keeper ended up being very impressive in there for Todd Pletcher and could potentially be going on to the Belmont Stakes. Meanwhile, risk-taking who Chad says loves at a distance will have a chance to potentially grab a share at least in a ultra prestigious race, a a classic part of the triple crown like the Preakness. The Peter Pan is a great race and it's really fun, but a race like the Preakness obviously is more appealing when you have a three-year-old who especially appreciates going the two-turn distance. Yeah, exactly. And and you hinted at it. There might be a quick pay setup. There are a few deep closes in here, or at least out and out closes that would appreciate it. And I must admit, I'm I'm looking through them and I'm still trying to really pin myself down to which horse I think is going to, you know, get the first jump on the speed horses if the pace does collapse. Who would you go with? As far as closers? Mm-hmm. A crowded trade for me. Um, he's he's the one that I ended up using in second behind okay. Midnight Bourbon. Um, but I, I do think that risk-taking, for instance, I mean, keep me in mind, ran a very good race uh, in the Kentucky Derby. And it was interesting. He was really far back after he just kind of walked out of the gate, which is a typical of him too, actually. Um, and, and David Cohen gave him a great ride and giving him every opportunity to close. So he'd need to close again. Uh, he obviously won't have 20 horses to pick off or 19 other ones to pick off in the Kentucky, in the Kentucky Derby. Um, but I do think that he is kind of the decided closer, certainly, of the field. Yeah, well, we're set for a wonderful renewal once again. Of course, uh, last year we got treated to an absolute epic race that stretch duel between swiss skydiver authentic that was my first ever preakness and i probably still you know i get a bit excited when i talk about it because that was just such a, a marvelous victory and then swiss skydiver became champion three-year-old philly authentic went on to bring breeders cup classic as well aside from having already won the kentucky derby and then became horse of the year so big shoes to fill 
of course, this has been a very different year and you kind of highlighted that the three-year-old crop has been, you know, a little bit on and off. We haven't had our out, out and out, you know, monster horses in there, the horses that make you think that possibly a triple crown would be in the works. But nonetheless, are, are we excited? Of course. I love the Preakness. It's my favorite race. It's my favorite of the, the the year, actually. I always look forward to it. It's where the party happens. It's the most relaxed, I think, of the Triple Crown. The people in Maryland are wonderful. It's like a second home for me. Um, and I, I always, always appreciate being here for the, the two major days of racing and that Friday card, especially top to bottom, is really competitive. So looking forward to all of it. Well, you know, you'll have to take me to wherever the party's at, right? Me being the newbie here. I don't know where the party is this year. <laughs> we're still we're still coming out of the woods for the pandemic, but we will find it. We will find it. We'll, we'll have some fun. Thank you so much, Acacia. And um, yeah, I'll see you soon again. <laughs> of course. I did indeed see her the next day as we were on air together going over the Thursday card at Historic Pimlico, Old Hilltop, High Hope Pimlico, whatever you would like to call it. So much more to come over the next couple of days. It's been a long day. It's been a long night. I hope you're enjoying it. Do check out my Twitter. I try and post as many videos of all the horses working on course as I can because I'm very aware the fact that the normal public can't attend morning workouts like in any other year would have been the case. Let's hope that next year will be fully open to the public again. It really seems like that is going, uh, that it is going in that direction. And I couldn't be more pleased to have everyone back on site and enjoying the stellar thoroughbreds and action that is on show. In the meantime, check out In The Money Media. We've been covering all the races there, the late pick five on Friday, everything that's going on on Saturday, all your handicapping insights, anything you need, you can find it on In The Money Media Podcast, on InTheMoneyMediaPodcast.com. You know where to find us. And of course, as always, keep tuning in to talk racing to me. I'll bring you the latest and just a little bit of color, a little bit of fun. Good luck, everyone, and wish me luck too. I probably need it. Chat with you next week.